Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. So, Jen, I got your Building Boys Bulletin in my inbox today. I love getting this email every single week from you because it gives me so much information. I can just skim through it and say, yes, that's what I need to know more about this week. I am so impressed with the vast array of information. How on earth do you bring this all together? I have been combing through the news for uh, articles and resources about boys for years. I have a couple Google alerts set. I'm on all kinds of other groups. And so I go through and I curate articles that help me learn about boys. And I have learned so much that's helped me be a better parent to my boys over the years. And so I now pull it together to share with other parents so it can help them with their relationships with their children. Of course, bringing all this information together, spending all that time sifting and sorting so that parents don't have to and pulling it together in the Building Boys Bulletin. You can subscribe for $5.99 a month or $60 a year. And that's to help reimburse and cover my time and effort because the time I'm putting into this is time that I am not putting in writing the articles that currently pay my mortgage. Yeah. I mean, it needs to be sustainable for you. Absolutely. And $5.99, wow, that is a cup of coffee and a croissant. That's pretty much it. So it is quite a deal. And I appreciate all the work that you put into it because it does also help me be a better parent and a better advocate for boys. Thank you so much, Janet. The more people that subscribe and get this information, I think we are all able to work more effectively to build a better world for our boys. How do our listeners access this valuable resource? Go to buildingboys.net. There is a place right on the homepage, red outlined box, enter your email address, click, and it will take you directly to the subscription page, buildingboys.net. Awesome. Raising boys brings up all kinds of questions. Every day I am confronted with a brand new question. And sometimes it's a perfectly silly one, like, why is there deodorant in my freezer? And sometimes it's a much more intense question, like, how do I talk to my child about why saying, oh, I'm sleeping over at my friend's house 
is a lie if he doesn't mention that, say, the friend's parents won't be home at that time. Or the friend's a girl. Yeah. You know what? I actually did that lie in reverse major. Of course. We there all do, right? There was a guy in my study hall whose name was Kim. And every time I talked about him, I said, this guy in my study hall, Kim. This guy in my study hall, Kim. Except for the night that Kim asked me to go to the movies, in which case I just said, I'm going to the movies with Kim. And that story doesn't really have a happy ending, but I was 16. So. Oh, that makes me very curious, Jen. Yes. So parenting, working with teaching boys, all kinds of questions. And today we are going to tackle some listener questions. It is time for yet another listener Q&A. Yay. I love these episodes. We get such thoughtful questions and just the questions we get make me feel good about the state of the world because it shows me that parents, grandparents, educators really care deeply about how they're interacting with boys. Yes. We're going to dive in. We're going to dive in with a big question. Matt asks, how do you help boys find their own positive path in an increasingly girl-dominated environment. He says, strong, confident, high-achieving girls are a good thing, and I know we both agree with that, but in my son's high school, they tend to be far more involved overall, from my observations, and I'll say that's definitely true at my son's school as well. The boys just shrink from it all. How do we help them work within this reality to carve their own path? Wow, that is a big question. You know, I've really had a problem with that hashtag, the future is female. I see girls wearing t-shirts that say the future is female. And I don't imagine that that feels very good for males who are looking at that. And there is this place where we do have to have these really challenging conversations about that. And and the thing is, we don't want to put anybody down. And yes, we want our girls to rise and shine as much as they want to. And I, I wonder if part of it is the different developmental trajectory that boys are on mm. and that it takes longer for boys to find what they're passionate about to find their track, their that thing mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's propelling them forward. And and it's not to say that there aren't boys who already are there in high school, but high school for many boys, you think about high school freshmen coming in, you look at these little boys that step into ninth grade and they're still little boys and they want to play and they don't want to have to be deciding what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. And recognizing that, providing outlets for them that is something besides just athletics. And I know, I mean, your your kids were involved in theater as were mine and choir and those are outlets. And now we have robotics and we've done an episode on esports, e-gaming. Mm-hmm. E- what do you call it? E- you got it right. It's esports. Esports. Yeah. Yep. You know, there are expansion of that, but still I think when you look at 
student council. Do they still call it that student council? At least at my son's school, they do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, what are, what's the percentage of girls and guys on in leadership positions? You know, this question, I picked this one first because I feel like this is the question that I grapple with big picture all the time. I'm grappling with it in my home. I've been wrestling with it for 20 years and it's why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. And so from my perspective, a big part of it is us as parents, as educators, affirming our boys for who they are and letting them know that it is absolutely okay for them to be who they are, how they are, and to like what they like. And I think you and I have both seen, and you've alluded to it a little bit, a lot of times boys' interests aren't necessarily welcome in school, in the classroom. You know, you've got a little boy and he writes a story about a dinosaur eating somebody and that disturbs somebody. And then he gets the message that that's not okay. Or you have a son that writes this great big battle scene, like the plot of every movie that's made a ton of money over the last how many years, but that's not acceptable, right? Mm -hmm. So when little boys get all these messages, they do, they pull back, they shut down and frankly, they stop trying. So as a parent, I've not been able to single-handedly change my son's school or the education system. But what I can do as a parent is I can make sure that my kids know that like, those things and their interests are okay. I can give them space and time to pursue the things that are important to them. That's why two thirds of my garage is over here. It's a boat and fishing equipment and over here it's a lawnmower. Mm -hmm. And I have snowmobiles on my lawn right now, Janet. There you go. Snowmobiles on my lawn that my (laughs) 14 year old's trying to fix. The other thing that really struck me as I thought about this question I think that we as, a, as parents, as the adults, kind of need to talk to our kids and engage in these conversations about these shirts and the future is female and this whole idea. And I'm not sure I did a great job of this as a parent. Well, I'm going to stop you right there because this wasn't as front and center even five years ago, Jen. That's true. And it's always been there, but it it really has only been what, how far are we into Me Too? Maybe three years now? Yeah. That's when I think these conversations have really taken on an added importance. So one thing that we adults need to do is help give our kids context, right? So if you are a five-year-old boy coming up in the world, or even a 15-year-old boy coming up in the world, to you, you may not have seen a lot of um, women not getting opportunities. So for you, this all seems terribly unfair, and why aren't you paying attention to the boys? That's a conversation to have. But I do think we, especially moms, can help our boys a little bit and understand, like, This is why there's been this focus on empowering girls. This is where we were. This is why these actions were needed. You're right. We are not doing the same thing for boys and we should be. Mm -hmm. And talk together about how you can do that. Yeah. I mean, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, it's within our consciousness of when women got the, the right to vote. Right. So just even having a conversation about that. And is it solvable? No, it's not easily solvable at all. But and and again, and I think we say this a lot on here is 
you just got to talk about it. Yep. And look for opportunities to point out inequity along with equity. And I think that's an important word, especially if your son, if your son is in high school, that you can talk about equity and how, and it's not equality. Not everything's the same for boys and girls, but it is equal opportunities. And again, to like highlighting what, what are their interests? What are their passions? And I think that's the that's the big answer here. The biggest yeah. thing is to look at your child as an individual human yeah. and support that, whatever his interests are. And if you need to pull in extra people to help you, great. Yeah. We're all working on this together. And I do think within the next 20 years, we're going to see a shift towards providing more support for our boys. Yeah. In the meantime, it's all on us. Yep. And we're doing, we're doing our part over here, Jen. And yep. Matt, I hope that that was helpful. I think that that question was so important to raise and you are not alone in wondering about that every single day. So this is kind of related, but I'm really interested in hearing your perspective, especially as a former teacher. Penny asks us what to do if the teacher isn't listening or empathetic. And she says, my son flourished when he felt understood and liked by his teachers. It makes sense. Who wants to spend all day, every day with a person who you think doesn't understand you, like you, or want you there? When the I like you dynamic is there, his behavior and academics naturally improve. Oh, yeah. This is a huge one. And it really points out the importance of and I talk with teachers about this all the time, is the importance of building a relationship with especially your boys because it's going to take a little more work. Mm -hmm. Girls naturally have that tendency, just the relationship piece, broad generalization, of course, but girls naturally have that like uh, uh, please the teacher and relational connection with their teachers. And, you know, sure, there might be teachers they don't like, but I I see boys and I experienced this of kind of holding back a little bit, maybe like leaning back and crossing their arms a little bit of, I just got to, I'm just going to wait and check out this relationship with this teacher. This teacher has to prove themselves to me Mm -hmm. as a boy And, oh, if I don't like this teacher, I'm just not going to do anything and you can't make me. Wow. When you get that locked in and as a coach, I work with a lot of families who have that dynamic at school and how to shift out of that. And it's tough because if you've got a teacher who say has, you know, 85, 90 kids on her enrollment it's hard to connect with every single one. And if you are a teacher that kind of doesn't get boys or isn't able to be playful a little bit or maybe have a joke in their back pocket, then boys are going to not connect. And that is problematic. And inevitably, at some point in your son's schooling experience, this is going to happen to him. There is no kid that goes all the way through elementary, middle, and high school and has 
every teacher who gets and understands him. So if you haven't dealt with this yet, you're going to. Yes, you are. And I just can't help but think about Sam and his art teacher. We're going to include that link because I was thinking of the same exact thing that got into that dynamic where Sam didn't respect the art teacher because he felt like she didn't respect or understand him. And I think they both got a little locked into those positions, Mm -hmm. which is a very human response, both on the teacher's part and on the student's part. Yeah. But what do you tell families? How can you begin to move beyond that and not stay stuck in that place of really being at countermeasures to each other and nobody being happy with this relationship? Yeah. Well, you know, there is the conversation of like, this is what you got and how can we make it work? And strategizing with your son about this class. You know, maybe it's a class that you can do bare minimum in. It doesn't give you permission to misbehave during class and be disrespectful. Always have to have a conversation with the teacher and call it, call a spade a spade. My son is having a hard time connecting with you. How can we shift this dynamic? The teacher may or may not be interested in having that conversation. She's human and likely it is a she. And yet hopefully they're open to, I do want to figure out how to connect with your son. So maybe you as the parent can offer some kernel of interest that the teacher hasn't cued into yet. Maybe there's a place where the teacher is willing to adjust a homework assignment, for instance, that can kind of loop in his interests in a different way. Maybe there's a place where the teacher can say, you know what, let's put the emphasis on your in-class work and I'm going to let the homework slide. Mm -hmm. Or we'll try it for four weeks and see how it goes. So there are ways to work with the dynamic that you're stuck with because you are. Mm-hmm. And and I would say, don't let it go to the point of being really critical. When you see the first signs of, I hate that teacher and she did this to me, that's the time to reach out to the teacher and just say, hey, I keep it light and keep it kind. And there, you know, no pointing fingers. It's just a human dynamic. And yes, your son will have to work with difficult people. And we can easily say that, well, you need to figure it out, but he needs help because he doesn't yet know how to do that. So you can be the coach in the situation, helping him, helping the teacher. Let's bring it to the table. What can we figure out here? I love that you said really approach it from a place of curiosity rather than accusation. First of all, we always have to remember that what our sons are telling us is not necessarily the whole picture. Yeah. Uh, And that's as true for daughters as it is for sons. So there's that. And then, you know, if you come at it from a place of curiosity, it's a lot easier to brainstorm and work together. One of the other things that's so important when this is going on, and Penny herself mentioned this when she sent us the question, she said, of course, they need to feel loved and understood at home too. So if your son is in a situation and has a teacher that it's just a tough relationship for him for whatever reason, it's extra important that he get that nurturing and those messages of acceptance and you're a good kid at home during that time period. I'm glad you put that in there too. Of just And you know, we all need that as human beings, right? Mm-hmm. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. 
babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S. made infant formula to use organic grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. Byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. And you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's Try, T-R-Y, dot, easy melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S, dot com, forward slash, on boys. Fitness, our conversation before we started recording today, you know, just to be able to hear someone say, you're okay, this happened with this person, and it's okay, and you're all okay, and give them some extra love, because that really helps. It really, really does. And you know what else helps? Pizza and a movie. Definitely. Or ice cream. Bring some food. Bring on the food. (laughs) You know your kid. Whatever. Something. (laughs) Yeah. Let's take a pause. These are such great questions and we have a ton more. Want to stay up to date on the latest news and research about boys? Subscribe to Building Boys Bulletin. It's a weekly newsletter that contains inspiration and encouragement, as well as links to and highlights of relevant articles, videos, and podcasts. I comb through the news so you don't have to. Get Building Boys Bulletin delivered directly to your inbox each Monday for $5.99 a month or $60 a year. To subscribe, go to buildingboys.net, enter your email, and click the red check mark. 
you'll be taken directly to the subscription page. Subscribe today so you don't miss a newsletter. And we're back. Oh, this is a good one, Jen. This question comes up. Actually, I was with a bunch of teachers last week at a training. They're early childhood teachers. And this came up. And here it is from a listener. Jackie says, what is within the range of normal when it comes to genital exploration? And she pointed out um, on others. So what she's really asking about is, is your son being curious about the genitals of other people? And she said for kids eight and under. And that's a hugely important point because obviously we have different developmental expectations for 16-year-olds than we do for three-year-olds. Yes, we do. But let's first address genital exploration on, let's call it self-genital exploration. And what I told the teachers last week is this is perfectly normal. It's very interesting. There's a lot going on down there and it's comforting and it's an opportunity to teach time and place. We just need to take a moment here. Every parent listening that has a boy I know has had this moment, but I think a lot of us did not know until we had sons that infant boys get erections. Yeah. And it's really fun when your kid is a toddler and they're in the bathtub and they're like, look, and they're showing this to you because it's just a cool thing that their body can do. Yeah. And as an adult, you're not sure if you should laugh. What do I say? This is all normal. It's just, you know, like the kid who can bend their thumb all the way back. Mm-hmm. It's the it's just the fascinating things our bodies can do. So keeping that in mind and not projecting too far into the future of oh my gosh, what if he's in high school and yeah, don't go there. So it's perfectly normal to have a lot of touching and exploration and showing off your junk. Let's put it that way. Yes, yes, that is totally normal. Little boys love running around naked. They just do. Yeah. Again, at your level of comfort, it's okay. Again, time and location. Are you at grandma's house or are you playing in the backyard with the sprinkler? Your choice. Some families are very comfortable with nudity. Some families are not. And that's that's for you, you to decide. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course, then they go out in public and they go to school and it's talking to them about this is okay here and it's not okay there, which we do in so many other areas as well. Mm-hmm. And it goes along with the conversations that we also need to be having about which parts of our body are private and who is allowed to touch and look at what. So this is it all goes together and having these conversations, many, many, many little conversations make the big conversations later a whole lot easier. Yeah. I loved some of the other um, listeners that piled in on this question and were sharing some details. Samantha said she's curious because her two and four-year-old are obsessed with talking about their pee-pee and showing it to each other. Totally normal. Completely normal. And it will stop. I promise you it will. And yes, in the meantime, you can have these conversations and say, hey, I get that, not in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. Um, 
Michelle added on, <laughs> she said, her seven-year-old is always trying to touch the dog's private parts, no matter how many times I tell him they're private. And then she's talked about, you know, breast, that her son would reach for his mom's breast. And that's a common thing that, you know, you've maybe heard of or experienced. It just so happened that earlier this year, I had a writing project where I was assigned to write a brochure about problematic sexual behaviors in children, which meant by definition that I had to educate myself on normal sexual development of children. What is that range of normal? So I went, I pulled out that file last night and totally normal between the ages of zero and three, totally normal, touching one's own genitals, reaching for women's breasts, enjoys being naked, lack of personal boundaries, totally and completely normal. Between the ages of three and five, totally normal to find your child playing doctor with another child, to be investigating the pet. Because kids that age, they're just very curious about bodies. Yeah. And they're aware enough that they notice differences. Well, what's different? Why is that different? Totally normal. Also very normal between those ages to show curiosity about adult bodies, right? So if your three to five-year-old sees you naked in the shower, he may comment on something. And if he sees daddy naked, he's going to notice that daddy's penis is bigger than his and how come normal questioning. Mm -hmm. Between the ages of five and 12, I know she asked about under six, between the ages of five and 12, masturbation, still, it's a thing. Kids have discovered themselves. It feels good. It can be a stress reliever. By that point, kids should be starting to move out of, especially by age 12, they should be moving out of, you know, playing doctor and trying to look at each other's genitals because they're older. These conversations that you've been having with them about how this is, this is private. These are the circumstances in which it's okay. That has set in by then. Yeah. So body boundaries. Exactly. So if your kid is 10 years old and is still reaching for other people's breasts or private parts, or you're, you know, you're catching them um, exploring with a friend, then you may need to dig a little bit deeper. You may need to have a conversation with them. You might want to have a conversation with your healthcare provider just to see what's going on. Yeah. And, and those, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the safety part and those conversations need to start early and often where your bathing suit goes, nobody else goes. Right. Yeah. Except for, you know, parent bathing healthcare provider. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully that helps. And, you know, again, it's, it's sensitive because it is about personal boundaries and body parts. And yet it's, and it's, it's the, it's the teaching that we do, you know, they don't know they're not intending to do something that's bad or wrong. They don't know. It's another opportunity to teach them. This is how we are as human beings in the world. It also is sensitive because it brings up all of our stuff. Mm -hmm. This is often for parents the first time that we are forced to even think about what were the messages that we got about bodies, about touching, about sex. So many of us as adults, we just function on whatever we learn. And boy, having kids 
kind of forces you to think about that stuff because then you have to think, well, do I want to teach those same messages to my child Mm -hmm. or do I want to teach them something different? And if so, what do I want to teach them and how do I want to teach them those questions? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to include a link in the show notes to our conversation with Amy Lang of the birds and the bees. She is a woman. She does sex education for parents, helping parents have these conversations and is a fantastic resource. All right. We have time for one more question. What's it going to be, Jen? I think that we need to do this one uh, because it's a perennial one and it's right in your wheelhouse. Lauren asks us, why do toddlers hit? And more importantly, how do you deal with it? And then she further elaborates. She says her son is three and recently started hitting and kicking and throwing things during tantrums. I feel stuck. I don't want to spank. But when I walk away, he gets frantic. When I try and hug him, he pushes me away. I end up just sitting there with him hitting me, repeating over and over, hitting isn't nice. We don't hit. Stop hitting. I want to understand what's happening and what should I do. Let's tackle the easy part first. Why do toddlers hit? Toddlers hit because they don't have the words to process their physical impulses. That's a huge part of it. And boys especially come to words later, are very physical, and that impulse is it's right there. It could be hitting. It could be biting. Right. Biting is also very common. So the, it's frustration. So then taking a step back and looking at what is causing the frustration, how much physical activity has this child been having on a consistent basis so that that impulse and that frustration that builds up in your system can be worked out? What else can they hit safely? You know, where else can they be expending this particular gesture that's safe? I would encourage this mom to never sit and just let her child hit hit her. They need to know this is a boundary, just like our last question. We're placing boundaries for our kids of you may not hit. We use the gentle hands and da-da-da. Well, they need to have that impulse. So how can you direct that? in a healthy way. I think of punching bags or hammer and nails, like get him some, some, you know, physical activity that takes some of that energy that is somewhat productive, not just sure you can hit a pillow, but let's go out and hammer some nails. You can't hit mom. You can hit and fill in the blank with whatever that's going to be in your house. And it may take experimentation. You know, the hammer and nails might work great for some kids. Other kids might prefer to wail on a pillow or a stuffed animal. And the other piece is to recognize this is a phase. This will not last. And keeping the strong connection with your child is the most important thing. And then it is providing the guidance of, you can do this, you may not do that. And that's so much of what parenting a three-year-old is about. And it's a process, Mm -hmm. right? So you are not going to do this once. You are not going to, you know, we just said, we really don't want you sitting there getting hit by your son. That makes me feel sad for, for her. You should not have to tolerate that. So we're giving you some ideas. Does that mean your son will never hit you again? No. It does not. As you are 
transitioning to a new way of handling this, yeah, he's going to take swings at you. Mm-hmm. Yes, you might get hit, but it's important to be consistent and to say you may not hit mom. Yeah. And that's kind of the upfront piece. Then there's the repair piece. Then there's the, I hit you. I hit my sibling. I hit the dog. I hit my mom. Now we can help our sons develop some empathy and we can guide them to getting out the healing cream and, oh, let's put some you know, healing cream on this place where on my arm and showing them how to do that and making that part of the process because that is helping guide him into empathy without just saying, you know, tell them you're sorry, but this is the repair that they can do. So go that direction. And a friend of mine has a little, like a little zipper bag that sits on the kitchen counter. It's always there. It has the healing cream in it. It has some band-aids in it. And so that gives the child an opportunity to Ah. repair what they've done Ah. and and reconnect in a gentle way with that person, with the dog, sibling, whomever. I want to comment on this line where she wrote that when she just tries to walk away when he's hitting, he gets frantic. First of all, in a weird warped way, that's a good sign. He is emotionally connected to you. He feels safe with you. At this age, it's very normal to be concerned when mom and dad go away, especially when the child is in a state of heightened anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So that is normal. But I also want to tell her, If you need to walk away, that is okay, even if he gets frantic. If that's what you need to do to control your temper or, frankly, to keep yourself from getting hit in that moment, it is okay. He can be in a safe place by himself for a little while while you do whatever you need to do to keep yourself safe and emotionally balanced. Yeah, because it may, you know, this may not be the first situation and it may be triggering. So calm yourself and you you get lots of practice with the three-year-old to practice that deep breathing, stay in that neutral place. But if you can't, then tap out and go take a break. Even if you just need to go in the bathroom and lock the door and stay there for a moment, come back out so that you can be that calm, neutral person for your toddler who is completely dysregulated. He can't get himself back to a neutral place without having some support to do that. Sending a child to their room and imagining that they're going to be able to pull it together for a three-year-old, mm-mm. They don't have the tools yet to do that. So bringing them closer to you, helping them engage in a rhythmic activity. So come and help me sweep. Come and help me do laundry. What You know, just doing something. The other thing is go outside. Mm-hmm. If things are escalating, just get outside. Nature is your antidote to everything. Go outside, let him hit a tree with a stick. That's okay. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I'd thought of that a few years ago. Sure. Might but be you know, late. she did say in here, um, when she tries to hug him, he pushes me away. And that also made me think a lot about my second son who was so much like that at this age. 
and frankly continued that way throughout his life. He's 19 now. What I learned with that kid, he needed time and space to go be by himself and be physical. And Mm -hmm. that's how he worked through his stuff. Now, a three-year-old who gets frantic when you walk away, he might not want to be by himself yet, but something Mm -hmm. like being in the yard with you there and letting him use a stick to like whack the dirt or whack a tree, that could be an answer. Yeah. Yeah. And to reassure, this is a phase. Absolutely a phase. As he develops his words and you're better able to communicate with him, this will pass. He will not be doing this when he's 16 years old. I promise you. We'll have another episode about that. But meanwhile, you've got this, mama. You've got this. We hope that these questions and answers have been helpful for you today. If you have something else on your mind that you're wondering about, or if you think there's something that we missed in our answers and you have a great idea, please share it with us. You can go to our show notes page. It's on-boys-podcast.com and you can leave us a comment or a question and we look at all of those. Absolutely. Or pop into our Facebook groups, Building Boys and Boys Alive. We're always there ready. And there's a bunch of other parents who have been there, done that, and are willing to chime in and support you. And we are all about Number one, having the conversations and number two, keeping those connections with your kiddos. And we love our listeners, don't we? We do. Thank you all for listening and for all the work you're doing in the world to raise wonderful men. Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. And we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.